Hello, and welcome to a special episode of Cambridge Stronger as we celebrate Pride Month. I'm Amy Weber, President and CEO of Cambridge and host of Cambridge Stronger, a podcast where culture counts and values matter most. In recognition of Pride Month, we've teamed up with our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Committee to bring listeners a joint podcast episode featuring two Cambridge financial professionals. We believe building a diverse and inclusive work environment is more important than ever, particularly in the financial services industry. We hope we can help provide awareness around diversity in our industry and discuss ways that we can all help create a more inclusive environment. With that, I'd like to welcome our guests. Vice President of Operations and Financial Consultant, Peter Bakiaki of G9 Financial and Peggy Haslack, a financial advisor with Affinity Group. We're honored to have both Peter and Peggy as members of our DE and I Advisory Council and as members of the LGBTQIA Task Force, both of which we'll be talking about shortly. Welcome to the show, Peter and Peggy. So let's get started with one of my favorite parts of my podcast. I'd love to hear about how my guests got started in our industry. So Peter, let's start with you. Tell me about your journey. Well, I will try to keep it short, although it's a very long story. <laughs> um, I first became licensed uh, to sell life insurance and securities in 1981. That's a few years back. So, and since then, I spent probably about half of my journey uh, in direct production, building a clientele, and then or in and the other half, rather, in management. So, you know, hiring people, training people, uh, helping them with their marketing and whatnot. But the other half um, in a, some kind of a managerial position. Um, and then somewhere along the way, I met my very longtime friend, Dan Gerard, uh, through our mutual involvement with NAFA. Uh, I actually think that Dan was in one of my training classes that I was running at NAFA. So I think that's how we first met. Um, and then, um, so we've been good friends, kept in touch. And then five years ago, Dan reached out to me. He said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody has to fit this unique position I have here at, uh, at, uh, Gerard financial group at, at that point in time. And, you know, can you help me out? Who do you know? And, you know, we kind of went back and forth for about a month. And then I finally said, Dan, you know, I think the person that you're looking for is me. <laughs> Which was like, it was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so, so this week I celebrate my five-year uh, anniversary with both Cambridge and uh, now G9 Financial. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's been, accidental it's been sometimes, accidental sometimes. I know. Not the first yeah. time I've heard that. It was, yeah, it really was the, you know, the who you know kind of a thing. <laughs> So, Peter, just a quick follow up. Were you in? So you're in the independent space today, Cambridge being uh, very fiercely yeah. committed to independence and some of your prior roles when you were talking about leadership management. Uh, was that in a different environment? And what keeps you then charged about the independent environment you're in today? You know, yeah, I was in a basically what's known as a captive uh, uh, agency system. Uh, and um you know, it is, you know, there's a, there are pluses to that. I mean, they do have great training programs. They really do help develop people. So that is probably the biggest plus to those systems. Um, but there's a payback for that. You know, there's a, you know, there's a loss of autonomy. Um, 
there's a loss of really mm, sort of that sense of like running your own business. And I think that is, um, you know, certainly what, what I appreciate most about, about the independent uh, world um, is that, you know, you really, you really get to run your business. You get to design it the way you want it, you know, within the parameters of, you know, rules and regulations, but you still, it still gets to be your business and you work with your clientele and the way that you want to work with them as a way that is presented in a training class. So. Yeah. To your point, there's a, there's um, obviously a purpose for all models. Just like to highlight that difference that you've hit on there largely because, you know, the independent space actually for all intents and purposes fails quite significantly at the early stages, unless yeah. they get in with an organization, you know, for instance, like the one you're in now, but um, you're not usually going to come off of a college campus and start as a solo independent. It just is tough. Not some, some do, but it's a tougher road. Yeah. It's a struggle for that doing it that way. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. Peggy, I'm going to turn to you. Share with our listeners your journey and what made you choose financial services? Well, that last statement you just made kind of fits my story. Um, I lost my job at 23, um, my job of 23 years. I was working for a company, a health club company, and they were streamlining down because they were going to be bought by a private equity company. And uh, my job was to consolidate the member service and billing departments. And little did I know that I was consolidating myself out of a job. (laughs) And since it was 2008, 2009, and nobody was uh, hiring a 49-year-old gay woman who had an open workers' compensation case, my sister and I started a small business to help seniors move from their large family homes into assisted living and retirement communities. So that meant we got to go to networking events and talk to all these people about long-term care and longevity planning. And what I learned was uh, there weren't very many options for LGBT, especially you know gay women with dogs, um, when it came to retirement communities, because they had these rules against having two people of the same gender, especially women, in a room. And nothing to do with gay marriage or anything, even though it was still you know, California was off and on with gay marriage for a couple of years. Uh, It was because they would maximize the uh, profits if they had couples or non, you know, people not sharing rooms. And so um, I was very baffled by this. And my, my spouse then got a job offer up in Washington. So I moved up with her. She was running a dog training facility that was adjacent to a veterinary clinic. And I went up and started teaching canine nose work while looking for project management jobs. And one of our students invited me to come into her office and help her get her office in order because she was losing her assistant. And, you know, just like Peter, it was one of those people who come and get you that question. Have you ever thought about being a financial advisor? You know, you'd be really good at this. So the next thing you know, I was taking my 70 and my seven and 66 and um, got all the way to hanging my own uh, shingle and we got into a bit of a snag. We were in the independent space, but what we found out was because my, the person who brought me in had a son in the industry, there was no way I was going to be able to get her book of business because they came back and said, "Uh, sorry, that's not how it works. 
you know, we decide who gets your book of business. So I went out on my own and did an interview and landed my one and only interview was with Northwestern Mutual and which is a uh, captive space as well. And um, they helped me open up my practice. I think I got the job though, because I was a, uh, you know, a 53 year old woman there not really fit the model of how they bring people in, but I was a water polo player and I played on the national team. And I think the, the partner who owned uh, that particular uh, office played on the water polo team in college as well. So he thought, you know, I know athletes are going to do really well. So he took a chance on me and uh, went from there. But again, with same with Peter, I realized that what I really wanted to do was going to work. Uh, in the uh, in captive space. So I wanted to do real financial planning without having to sell a bunch of life insurance. So it can feel risky, I imagine, venturing out on your own the way that you're describing. Um, just talk for a minute about how you got through that. What helped you push through the fear, really, um, of, of failure, right, of, of doing this on your own? It, it was uh, really tough, and how I uh, how I did it was, well, let's go back. When I lost my job in two thousand nine, I met with some financial advisors, and you know they they only wanted to talk to me about my rolling over my four hundred one k and my life insurance. You know that was it. Um, and then when I brought up, brought up the fact that my partner was you know a woman who had her own business and is uh, a Norwegian citizen, they didn't even want to talk to you know, us about our planning. It was like, no way. So I knew that there were enough people like me that needed this. And so what I did was I really, I built a, a center of influence with a lot of other providers like uh, attorneys and CPAs and all of that. And that's how I got my business by building my network, a diverse network of other people who could help me as well as could help each other build their own practices. Great advice. It's uh, going it alone, but not alone, perhaps. Well, you're both members of our Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Advisory Council, and you're also members of the LGBTQIA plus task force that's within our DEI efforts. So, Peter, let's start with you. How does your role on the council and the task force translate to your work as vice president of operations in your organization? Uh, you know, I find the involvement with the council to be really stimulating. I, I, I love our meetings and being involved. I find the council to be a great place to share ideas, ideas and also to gather resources. And so I think that really does impact uh, my, my work professionally because, uh, you know, the more resources you have access to, you know, the, the better player you can be kind of a thing, you know, so um, I like that. So. Um, and the council also does sort of uh, helps keep you humble as well, because it makes you aware of just how many different levels there are uh, in both our profession and in our communities um, uh, that really um, that we need to work on that, that that need to be impacted by our focused effort for change. And so um, I think uh, and I so I think that also uh, impacts um uh, you know, my, uh, uh, my daily work life as well, because it just kind of um, keeps me a little more grounded. 
you've really tackled a lot of things. So thank you for your contributions. I mean, just as an overall, um, you know, still formally and in a formalized way, a fairly new time for us. So I appreciate your contributions. Peggy, I know you've built your practice around working with female veterinarians, doctors, attorneys, small business owners. How does your role on the council and task force help guide the way you work with the unique clients that you serve? I think it's actually the my work with my clients guides what I bring to the council. And again, going back to building my network of all these professionals, what I've run into are a lot of women who work in and LGBT who work in organizations where they're the only. So um, uh, very funny story. When I first started with... Um, uh, Cambridge, I actually met with a person, um, Cheryl Hickerson of uh, Females in Finance, and she was talking about my marketing. And they were like, let's focus on the veterinary. That's great. Everybody likes to talk about their dogs. That's a perfect you know, client to work with. And, um, and I said, well, I think I need to do the DEI piece. And she said, well, yeah, you can do that. But I still, still think you should need to focus on the dogs. And I hung up the phone and went on LinkedIn. And then there was this big dust up about a conversation between two of our elected officials that was not exactly, it's not exactly a positive thing. And was there a massage discussion about misogyny and harassment and all that. And turns out that the elected official is a veterinarian. So I went back to uh, Cheryl and I said, I think we can go with this because all of a sudden there are all these articles coming out about DEI and generative uh, you know, quality. And these were the people that I knew um, in the, that were working in these organizations that were trying to do the same thing. So I aligned with um, several people and that, you know, that's the benefit about being in Seattle is we have some of the minds and Peters in Massachusetts, we have some of the minds that are really working on these projects and have always been dedicated to this. So I think it's been a sharing of information and pulling the best practices from all, you know, all these other organizations and people to help try to change it in our own industry. Thank you. That that actually makes a lot of sense as you describe it that way, that, you know, your day to day experiences kind of lead you to a place where you can contribute significantly to some efforts. And it's uh, I know it's working well for us to have both of you on. So, again, thank you for serving and, and providing us with your expertise and guidance. You're both also very active members when it comes to supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. Peter, tell us why you believe it's important to support diversity, not within your local community, but also within your business. Well, you know, even though I'm uh, a member of the community and so, you know, by definition, I'm, I'm a member of a marginalized community. I, I consider myself to be in a position of privilege. I am a uh, older white male and I am, uh, quote unquote, passing. And so <laughs> all of that uh, puts me in a position of privilege. Um, and so I think that those of us that are uh, in a position of privilege, really, that, you know, if we don't stand up and center uh, the and magnify the voices of marginalized people, then we can't expect any change to happen. And, uh, you know, and I think that it's that change that we're working towards uh, the, the, to be more inclusive. That's what's going to uh, bring additional opportunity for success 
to both our clients and then also to our industry. And so that's, you know, so I think that's how it ties together. I think that's why um, I do work hard at it is that it's both the right thing to do, but it's also, um, it will um, benefit uh, everyone in the long run. Do you talk to your clients about these issues? Do you spend time on that in your practice? Use that as a platform, if you will, for your voice? We address it when it's we address it when it when it comes up. I mean, I I I don't think that we're necessarily um, forward about it per se, um, you know. But it is, uh, um, you know, but it is. We don't. We also don't obviously hide the fact. But we we just but we address it when it comes up. And uh, and and one of the ways that it does come up is that you know I have changed my uh, signature on my uh, on my uh, email and to have the he him his. Um, and and I get questions like literally every day about uh, why why do you have that on there? What does that mean? <laughs> I think you're the reason that I have it on my Zoom title here. I, I remember right, you were the one that held up a challenge to all of us on the committee to do that. So thank you. Um, and I too get those questions. Um, and I guess it, yeah. you know again, it just gives you the opportunity. I, I've told you and and some of the other committee members like the inclusion part of it is probably my favorite only in that I would think every client you serve would want to feel like a part of something. Inclusion is maybe a little bit easier to understand regardless of who it is that's walking in the door that they, you know, of course I want to feel like I fit in, in this business, in your practice as a part of your clientele. So it just gives us, in my opinion, little tools to start dripping the messages we're trying to get out. Peggy, how do you feel about all of this? I feel exactly the same way. I think I, you know, my position and uh, is to amplify uh, the messages uh, because when the financial services, when I first got into the industry, I found it was like a lot of little islands for women and LGBT. I was the only woman in my office. I was the only LGBT in the in the whole network office, and. We had these net. We had these diversity and inclusion councils. Who there were soft councils. You know, we'd go in there and we'd celebrate Cinco de Mayo, um, and they would bring in these speakers to do DEI workshops. They'd pay them a lot of money. They'd leave. They'd make a lot of suggestions, and none of them were done. So it was all you know going through the motion. Whereas here now, I feel that. Uh, we're not going through the motions. We're actually reaching out. We're letting everybody know we exist. We're taking these task force to show everybody that is in at Cambridge that there are resources to help them build their practices. And probably one of the best things that I saw come out of it was when we were in Scottsdale in um, January, I discovered there was somebody who was in the middle of the country you know, she's a gay advisor, smack in one of those states where you can't say gay. And she is trying to build her practice. And she said it was so exciting to know that we had this council. And we even had this task force that uh, she knew who to turn to. Yeah, that's great. I love that story. Thank you for sharing. Um, also, speaking of diversity, Peggy, you Congratulations, we're recently selected as Investment News Excellence in Diversity, Equality, and Inclusion Award in their Rising Stars category. So we are so honored to just be supporting you in these efforts. 
How do you plan on using that particular platform to continue spreading the awareness around diversity that we're talking about here? Again, it's the continuation. It's uh, using the attention to not only support, you know, those advisors who are in Cambridge, but actually everybody in the industry. Um, because as, as I said, the lots of times they try to, uh, the smaller uh, or organizations who aren't committed to DEI try to keep the others in their little islands. Well, how do we spread that word? How do we, you know, uh, tell others that there are people like them? Because, you know, there's only so much the top 5% we can go for. 95% of the people need financial planning of some sort. There are a lot of people out there who can help them. So this is how we bring people in the industry when they can see that there's people out there to help them who are like them and share their same values. Uh, I, um, I'll just share a little story that happened last week. And this is just an example of how our efforts, your efforts around DE and I broadly it, it just takes some commitment, but then it really does kind of pick up speed. It's a little bit like wildfire. And one of our uh, employees, I think we just announced one of my podcasts and one of our employees who's not even on the DE&I council at, at this point, but you know, they're all plugged in to your point. We make sure that it's awareness and that everybody has the opportunity to offer suggestions. And she said, I love Amy's podcast. But it, I, it occurred to her as she was listening to my podcast that perhaps people that were auditorily challenged couldn't take part in listening to my podcast. What are we doing about that? And I was like, I, you know, I have no problem being honest. I've learned a lot through this and many other years just as a woman in the business, right, as a minority in the business, that um, sometimes I'm going to make mistakes along the way, say the wrong thing, not think of the right things, whatever it may be. And so we admitted to her, we had absolutely no idea, but that we would take it to the council so we could talk about that so that we can at least gather some conversation around what the ways are to solve those things. So just tiny steps that feel perhaps like we're not making fast enough progress really start to take wings and fly. I'm sure you've both experienced those kinds of things as well. Yeah, that's a great comment. Yeah. And, and I think it's a really good example of. Um, you know, no matter where you are in the DEI conversation and the process for change, um, there's probably somebody that 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 you're leaving out. You know that all of us. You know that and and it because it's the population that we just don't have a lot of experience with and we don't have a lot of interaction, and so you don't always think about that. Oh, geez, you know. That's right. Now, how do we address? How do we address that? How do we do this? How do we include them? You know, it's whether because whether it's purposeful or not, it's you're excluding if you don't include, right? So, um, so yeah, it, it's. Uh, I think that that's some of what comes up in the journey is that is that uh, you know the light bulb goes on a lot where it's like, oh, geez, <laughs> how do we do that? Yeah, now? yeah, yeah. Peggy, any comments? Yeah, I had I had that light bulb moment when I was. Uh, uh, reading a book about, and I saw a stat that was like 78% of people or 68% of people cover some part of their identity at work. Oh. And, you know, and then I thought about all the meetings where I've had where afterwards somebody pulls me aside and says, Oh, thank you for speaking up about that. Did I tell you that my kid is gay or I you know, my brother is transgender, you know, and all of this. And it was like, 
light bulb goes on that there are so many levels of diversity and inclusion. And by you could very easily say the wrong thing in a conversation if you weren't sensitive to the fact that there are very, you know, so many levels of DEI. It's true. I mean, another one of my stories that's very relevant to the topic we're here to celebrate uh, today with this podcast. And I'm, you know, just I'm comfortable enough to be candid is I was giving a speech probably at one of our women's events, honestly, and I was trying to be inclusive. My marketing people had spent a lot of time coming up with the phrase, you know, with all of the categories that we had been supporting up to that point. Um, and so I used the word lifestyle to and try to encompass all of the people in the LGBTQ environment. And I, I will, I can't offer enough appreciation to the person who came up to me afterwards in a very kind way. And, and she said, you know, are you aware that that term actually can be insulting to some of us? And I said, no. Do you think if I was, I would have just stood up and said it in front of a couple hundred people? Please educate me, right? Share with me why so that I have, I understand it. But I think we all, and she did, which was beautiful, but some people wouldn't have been comfortable coming up and saying anything to me in the first place. And then I could have been off on a speaking tour, um, you know, and being insulting and, and hurting people's feelings unintentionally, albeit, um, but doing so anyway, if somebody hadn't stopped and had the conversation with me. And that, that's probably the biggest change over the last few years that I feel like we've accomplished, at least within Cambridge, and to some extent lesser, albeit maybe in the industry, is that we're at least talking to each other. Yeah. I had a similar situation happen in a women's advisor summer. They brought, they had these three advisors speaking, and they kept on referring to their husbands. And I myself drifted off. I was just, I disconnected on the conversation. And then finally somebody stopped and said, excuse me, could you please do us a favor? Could you please refer to the significant other as a partner or a spouse and not a husband? And my head snapped right then. It was like, oh, wow, that was awesome. <laughs> Wouldn't have thought of it, right? I'm sure the speakers, you know, just, uh, and on the other side, hopefully we all just cut each other that slack and give them that grace. So I appreciate that the three of us can talk about these things today. So uh, as I said, it's important. We're here to recognize and support pride. We hopefully do it all year long, but the month of June specifically is designated to celebrating pride. Is there anything the two of you or your offices do to commemorate that special month um, or maybe even in your personal life? Uh, Peter, let's start with you. Well, well, this year, um, uh, the team is we're, we're going to participate in a in an online training. There's, we're going to start it soon so that it can be completed by Pride Month. It's a it's a just a three session uh, training uh, and it's on how to be a better ally to the LGBTQIA plus community. And um, so we're, we're hoping that it's completed. We're all, uh, quote unquote, certified <laughs> allies. Uh, by the time June June arrives, and so um, we're doing that as a as an effort within our office, which is um, you, know, uh, you know significant to do as a little group of seven. And um, 
you know, in the in my, in the community, uh, the, my direct community of Worcester, Mass, is we actually celebrate Pride in September because we have a significant. We have a hundred thousand college students in this in the city of Worcester and surrounding area, and and they're all gone in June. <laughs> so, that makes so, sense. Yeah, that's so inclusion. We, that's so, inclusion. So in, right, inclusion. Right. So so we schedule our our Pride for September when they're back. Uh, so that we can include them uh, in in our pride festivities, but we still do some uh, some uh, events and whatever to recognize um, you know that it's Pride Month. So, uh, and then we certainly do uh, through through the region. There are other um, uh, areas uh, that we uh, participate in, uh, Providence and other communities that we do some work in. Yeah, that's great. And more and more opportunities um, present themselves. Thank goodness. So, thank you for sharing. Peggy, how about you? Well, prior to the pandemic, uh, every year I would march in the Seattle Pride Parade. And the group I marched with was uh, Northwest LGBT Elder Care Providers. And uh, the last couple of years, we well, we didn't have it because of the pandemic. But prior to that, we connected with a group called Gen Pride Generations Aging with Pride. Uh, and so it was a bunch of seniors. We would bring the seniors and put them, uh, senior LGBT, and have them on the the uh, floats, those who couldn't walk the three miles. Uh, it's a hoot. It was really so much fun. Sounds like a blast. Is. Well, this year, uh, something different. Um, I was recently asked to join the board of Generations Aging with Pride, right in time for a huge project that they're working on, which is to build a senior low-income housing um, project in Seattle, right in that area called Capitol Hill, which is, uh, you know, Seattle's version of West Hollywood. And they, uh, the top is going to be all low-income apartments and the bottom is going to be a senior activity center. Well, we're having a, an event to celebrate LGBT elder LGBT Elders Day, which um, we're having an event to bring in uh, all these LGBT seniors from uh, Seattle and honoring them, we're trying to bring in from uh, several minorities and communities uh, that not, normally aren't represented, you know, at, at these events. So it's going to be a great event. We're looking forward to it. What a great project and congratulations. You said you were just elected to lead the board or I was to just the board? elected to be on the board. On yeah. the board. Well, that's mm -hmm. awesome. That's You're great. one busy person. <laughs> <laughs> I think any way that people choose to honor the month of June um, is special and, and certainly appreciate the two of you sharing the way that you do this. So I always like to take time in these podcasts to learn more about what my guests enjoy. You know, Moving maybe away from DNI a minute and just to our industry, regardless of how one identifies, the biggest thing we struggle with, honestly, is that people don't get into our industry because they don't think we have lives. They don't think we have fun. They think, you know, finance, math, technical analysis, boring business. I'll never have a personal life. I won't have any hobbies, all of those things. So let's. Dispel the myth by you sharing 
what your hobbies and activities are that you do in the free time that you do actually have. So uh, Peggy, let's start with you. Well, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm really into my dogs. And uh, my, my, my wife is a professional dog trainer and handler. Uh, so she travels the world competing uh, and also training people how to handle their dogs. And I go along and I have my dog that I run or ran. So we do lots of activities and we hike and we do canine nose work and but our big love is dog agility uh and so we on weekends we will go to wherever the competition is and we've gone to international level competitions for desiree and i i done my fair share on the national level ironically my dog's name is dime not after the coin, but after the Swedish chocolate bar. Uh, and I got her before I entered the industry. So perfect. That sounds uh, like a lot of fun. Peter, what do you do in your free time? Well, what little free time I have. No, I, <laughs> I actually um, I, I do a lot. Well, I spend a lot of time with my family. So I spend time with my sister and her family and then my three children and my three grandchildren. Uh, so that tends to keep you kind of busy when you have all those folks and they're all, they're all, um, very close. You know, the, my, uh, my son who lives the furthest away at a whopping 24 miles, uh, is, um, uh, getting married at the end of the summer. And so, so that has a, that's a little diversion. And my, uh, nephew is getting married actually in June at the beginning of the summer. So we have the summer sandwich with weddings. But and I, I do spend uh, um, a lot of time in the community. I, I, I am a member of a n- number of different organizations and uh, that are, uh, some of them are uh, a lot of uh, LGBTQ focused organizations, but some of them are just uh, community organizations uh, just to kind of imp- make general improvements to the community. So I do tend to uh, keep myself uh, busy and active, just being involved uh, in in general general items. Uh, we do it once in a while. We do uh, uh, get a raucous uh, game of dominoes. I didn't going. even know they um, still that, existed. That <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> they do, and uh, yeah, they can they can be you know quite uh, energized. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. Like I said, I I think a lot of our listeners have a tendency to categorize us as not a very exciting industry. So it's good that they can hear some different options. People, we, we do have lives too, right? So before we close, any piece of advice either of you have for anyone either in the community or just anybody um, about getting into our business, you know, seriously speaking about how special and rewarding what we're doing today is. Peggy? I would say you deserve to be here. If you feel that you want to help people with their financial planning and, you know, setting up um, their futures and work with individuals and help them do that, then. Well said. You know, you're welcome. Here. That's the key. Welcome is um, I like that word a lot. So thank you for that. Great advice. Peter. You know, one of my biggest concerns way back when, when I started in the industry was that I would be, I didn't want to be in the industry for the wrong reasons, that uh, it was important to me to make a difference in people's lives. And I worried that I would, uh, you know, end up 
you know, being too focused on uh, dollars and cents and numbers and um, and money and not focused on people's lives. And uh, I certainly have found that to be completely untrue is that what I love most about this business is that we make a legitimate difference in people's lives every single day. And so that to me is the reason uh, to really to, to get into business and to stay in the business. Great advice. You know, that's probably why I feel so strongly that the two of you are great examples of Cambridge Stronger because Cambridge's purpose is to make a difference in the lives, your lives, your clients' lives, our associates' lives, just have a positive impact, if you will. And hearing it from both of you so genuinely and sincerely that you would like to make a difference and with the work that you do has come across loud and clear to me and I'm sure to our listeners. So I appreciate you both being here with me and celebrating uh, Pride Month as well as just sharing yourselves and a little bit about your journey. We're accomplishing multiple goals here today. So thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Cambridge Stronger. I invite you to listen to my podcast episodes where I have candid conversations with genuine inspirational financial professionals and leaders within this fiercely independent financial services industry. The best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. You can listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and the Podbean app. Stronger.